Now rocking with the best. Only two things can get you through this, man. Patience and persistence. Work harder than everyone. Be patient and just know that if you're gonna do something on your own, you're gonna have to feel some pain. You're only the boss if you put up your own money. If you don't put up your own money, I don't care how much somebody gives you. You're nothing but a supervisor. It's not yours. It, it takes fearlessness to be first. You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone. I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do. I started living according to what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life. Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your boy, you dig live action. And you already know where we at. I ain't got to say it. You just know it. Listen, I tell you guys, every week I'm going to come back with the fire guest, and I've done it again. I've done it again. My guy, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Man, Toriano Porter, a certified head busser. <laughs> <laughs> Mandatory, mandatory. I love it, man. We're so happy to have Toriano on today. I met him. Let's see. What happened? I was at a coffee shop. I was dating this other girl. Shout out to her. She's good people still. But anyways, I was dating this other girl. It's at a coffee shop. I seen a fly brother walk by. I said, damn. I said, hey, brother, you look fly. And he was surprised, I assumed, that he was like, he was like oh, thank you. Appreciate you. Introduced yourself. I introduced myself. We uh, exchanged contacts and then grabbed coffee a few weeks later, chopped it up, really got to know a little bit about your story, got to know about what you do, you know, got to know about your family, your history, and it it was beautiful then, and and I'm glad that we're able to, you know, cover it today for the listeners. So let's let's start from the very beginning, man. Let's start from the very beginning. Where are you from? Where were you born? Where were you raised? What was early life for Toriana like? All right, before I dive into that, man, just want to say I was real intentional that day when you you spoke to me, man, I had been talking to a good friend of mine. And one of the things that she was telling me was that whenever you interact with somebody in public or whenever they say to you, you know, you look fly or you look sharp, you know, she, her advice to me was to start making sure that I exchange contacts or get on IG. And that's why I came to you, man, like, what's your IG handle? Had no idea, you know, what the things you were into, man, but I knew I wanted to connect with you because your spirit was good, man. And, uh, I just really appreciate you for just even to take the time because, you know, culturally, there's a stigma that black men don't get along. And that's that's just not correct. And uh, for you to uh, broker that and just get offer me a, a compliment, man, I thought that was powerful. And he was a young brother I wanted to get to know. So I'm glad we were able to connect and, and just keep chopping it up, man. So I, I just let you know I was intentional after you broke that uh, that silence, man, to make sure I followed up with to get to know you, man. And I think that's what we got to do as men. Um, more we got to break down those walls man just be more open to uh meeting people and because you just never know man and um that was that was just a great uh introduction so i just wanted to say that Look. born and raised in south st louis man in the 1980s and 90s i came up on the street called park avenue in south st louis uh for your listeners and your viewers man i don't know if you guys know anything about st louis but this thing is documented my neighborhood was one of the hottest drug markets in the 80s and the 90s like growing up was all about navigating the pitfalls of that lifestyle. I chose to go a different route. I chose to uh, lose myself in education and, and sports and uh, eventually writing. And so that's what saved my life. And that's why I'm here talking to you today, man. I love it. I love it. And 
I want to start there. So, so, you know, that's post, that's post and maybe even during a little bit Reagan era where, you know, some people know, 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 know what went down. Some people don't know what went down, but. <laughs> Trick down economics didn't hit the hood, baby. Exactly. Exactly. Can you touch on, can you touch on what that experience was like and trying to navigate that as a young black man in the Midwest? Yeah. What was that experience? Okay. Well, coming up in the 80s, I, I, I would say about eight or nine was when I became aware of what was going on in the world. So this was around 82, 83. I started becoming aware of what was going on in the world. And one of the things that was going around around me was the St. Louis Baseball Cardinals won the World Series. I was eight years old. And so that is what this got me. And so from, my, from eight to about 19, I was a baseball player and I was in football and basketball and sports, man. And uh, eventually, you know, I dabbled in the street life a little bit, but, you know, God and, and, and uh, certain guardian angels around me were able to get me back on the right path. But coming up, you witness a lot of things. And uh, one of the things I remember as a nine-year-old is I witnessed uh, my mom's boyfriend uh, get into an altercation with a guy. And that guy ended up dead. Uh, and my, my mom's boyfriend went to jail for 20 years for a second degree murder, man. And this guy was my mom's boyfriend. He's, my, he's not my stepdad per se, but that's my first introduction into real life. Um, that's the first time I saw a, um, a person that died. And it, it was hard, man. And uh, so coming from that, <laughs> everything else was up, man. Everything else was up. My mom did her best to shield me and my older brother from a lot of things. But he's two years older than me. I would say about 1990s, he hit the block, he hit the streets, and uh, man, he had to pay the price for it. He, he ended up going to jail for 13 years for selling drugs. And so during that time, you, you were mentioning, you know, you really got caught up in sports and, and really fell in love with the game of baseball and and other sports. Like, I know you, I know you spent some time playing some football as well. Yeah. So, so can you kind of share maybe for other young people coming up how you think sports, you know, interrupts that, that, you know, unfortunate lifestyle, a lot of these young kids are coming from, you know, I think we just saw Deion Sanders is coaching right now, you know, started coaching for Texas state. Yeah. Texas exactly. state, yeah. And he was mentioning, you know, like the street life is hard for people to be involved with if you're involved in sports. But can you kind of of share how, you know, sports, you know, helped you out and how that served you and how that led you down a specific path that ended up benefiting you in the long run? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And this is, I'm not making this up. I cannot make this up. Just yesterday in St. Louis, I had a drink with my homeboy that I met when I was 12 years old. We've been knowing each other for 35 years. We we both, and this dude was a 10 times better athlete than I ever was. He also was a better student than I ever was. He chose the streets. I chose ball. My man went to the feds. Um, yesterday, after 35 years of friendship, that was our first time being able to sit down as adults and share adult beverage, man. So, you know, I'm coming from that prison, man. And so for me, and again, man, this guy played freshman football together. And he was a, I mean, he was a beast, uh, just a natural athlete. He didn't make it through the senior year. He, he, he cut short from that penitentiary. So for me, sports saved my life, man. And I'll give you a, an example of what I'm talking about. There's a story I like to tell when it comes to education and football and athletics. And this is the this is the example I like to use. It's about four people: me, my older brother, my best friend, 
and my oldest son, my firstborn son, these four people, we all grew up in the same type of environment, right? My older brother dropped out of high school at 15. My best friend dropped out at 16. My firstborn son dropped out at 16. I stayed going to school from the time I was six to I was 25. I was an undergrad at the University of Central Missouri in Warrensburg for seven and a half years. That's a whole other story. <laughs> That's a whole other story. But, um, but I stayed in school. I stayed in road. I never stopped going because I subscribed to the theory. If you ever stop going, you'll never go back. So my big brother ended up doing 13 years in the joint. My best friend, Warrior, was killed at 33, and my firstborn son was shot and killed at 16. I'm here telling that story. What's the difference between me and those guys? Athletics, the focus, the discipline, your, your accountability. You have to show up. You have to be there. You can't run the streets and go to football practice or baseball or basketball. It's, it's not going to work. I chose to do the sports. That's why I'm here. God has blessed me, man. Yeah, and you, you've shared already, you know, we're five minutes into this conversation, so much adversity that happened, you know, due to uh, a multitude of factors, but definitely due to the area you grew up in and the environment that was around you. So for other young kids and young adults and young fathers um, that are raising children in these, you know, type of neighborhoods and, and or growing up in these neighborhoods, aside from sports, is there anything else you can share? Any insights on your experiences growing up yeah. to help yeah. you know guide them down a yeah. path that can maybe you know save save their life or make their life better? Uh, again, I'll repeat this. I'm 47 years old. Something that I've learned in the five or six years, the last five or six years, man. As men, as parents, as people, we need to take anger out of our parental toolbox. Once we start dealing with our children with love, compassion patience and understanding, things will change. See, when I had my, when I became a father for the first time, I was 19 years old. When I went in and got him full time, I was a 23 year old college student and a single dad. Well, again, I'm coming up, even though I'm in college, I, I still got a little roughness to me. And the roughness was about survival because people were dropping off in the nineties. And I wanted to raise my son to a point if anything happened to me, he would be okay. And so I kind of raised him rough. I was a drill sergeant. I believed in corporal punishment. I did all these things and it turned out all bad. By 12, 13 years old, my son, my firstborn son, Toriano II, was running away from home, out of my home, running away from me, his dad, who he's supposed to, who I'm supposed to love and protect. He's running from me. That was an eye-opener. So what I've learned is as men, we, we want our sons to be, mm, we want them to be goons. That ain't the way. Teach these young men how to be men. Teach these young men how to deal with their emotions same thing with our daughters you know what i mean like it goes beyond gender it's about being a man a father a parent and so we take we need to take the anger out of our parental toolbox we need to learn other ways to solve solutions because if you take that anger out you remove that anger then there's no violence there's no tongue lashing it's all about meeting the child where they're at and that is how you change the trajectory of your child's life and generational curses and that's when I'm starting to deal over the last 10 years, man, just try to make sure I groom my kids to be loving, respectful people, including my boys. Something that I did not allow my firstborn to do, something I allowed my three surviving boys to do, cry. I told them it's okay to cry. You can be a, you can be a human being. You can cry. Whereas my first boy, hey, dog, we ain't doing nothing today. What's wrong with you, man? And he's four years old. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, and so 
what happened in your life and your personal life and your personal experience while you were, you know, in college and, you know, graduating college that helped you, you know, you know, I know you shared, unfortunately, about the passing of your first son being one of the reasons, but is there anything else that, that happened in your life that helped you change your mindset around, you know, what you just shared, how, you know, being open to cry, sharing your emotions, approaching uh, conversations about, you know, behavior or, or, or how you should be with love and with kindness. Like, when did that change for you? And, and, and when did that spark? And you were like, I'm gonna change my thoughts from here on out. It's real simple, bro. About two or three years ago, I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I met a gentleman. On uh, his name is Jason Wilson. He wrote a book called "Cry Like a Man." Changed my whole perspective on life. Changed my whole perspective on what it's like to be a man. And what the book is about is about men losing that masculine toxicity. Did I say that right? Did I say that right? Let me see. Toxic masculinity. <laughs> it's about shedding that emotional baggage and allowing yourself to be human. Because when we bottle all that up and we go on that, that tough guy stuff, man, we have to take it out on something or somebody. And unfortunately, it's usually somebody else or our children or our wives. And so he, uh, when I ran into this gentleman on the internet and I started picking up on his messages, because, you know, there's a lot of people out here, a lot of guys that think they're motivational speakers or whatever they realm is. And I have respect for people that really do their work. But this brother was different, man. The way he was just bringing that message, man. It was different, so I gravitated to it, you know what I mean? And he sent me the book, he signed it for me, man, and I read that thing, and it changed everything. I love it, I love it, I love it. So so let the people know one more time, what was the name of that book, just in case they want to read Cry Like a Man, Jason Wilson. Brother from Detroit, powerful brother, man, powerful. I love it, I love it. And I don't say that too often, bro, you know what I mean? Yeah, and speaking of that, like, you know, I – you know, when you're in high school, college, young man, you know, um, impressionable, who were some influential, healthy influential figures for you growing up that were that were brothers in the 90s and the 80s? Who were some people you looked up to that really kind of helped guide your path? This is what's crazy, man. My my older brother, he's two years older than me. I've just told you he spent 13 years in the joint. My best friend was shot and killed at the age of 33, which is about 12, 13 years ago. These are the only dudes growing up in my life that I ever looked up to that was in my peer group. You feel me? My big brother, his thing was, hey, yo, get, go home. Get off the block. You got practice, you got homework, go home. <laughs> Dog, guardian angel, my best friend knows. I was 20 years old, man. I had just turned 21. I'm sitting in St. Louis. I was, I was about to throw my life down the drain. I was about to throw my life down the drain. When I tell you I was about to throw it down the drain, I was about to throw it down the drain. My homeboy said to me, yo, you need to leave St. Louis, go back to Warrensburg, finish school, and do something with your life. 1995, man. Went back two weeks after that conversation. Game over. So my best friend, my older brother, were those guys, man, that kept me on that right path, even though they were in the street, even though they were doing what they're doing. That, it takes a real solid individual not to pull you down with them, man. So those are the guys that I looked up to coming up, right? It's real, yeah. College, man, I, I started connecting with some real, real dudes from Miami, Kansas City, where I live now, Oklahoma, California, all over America, Florida. And uh, one of the realest, I mean, talking about one of the realest dudes I ever met in my life graduated from college. He walked across the stage. He was a football player like me. He was my roommate. 
That was the first real, like, real dude. Like, when I say real, you know what I mean? Just a straight dude from the block. The first real dude that I met that actually graduated college, man. And that, that changed everything. Cause so I chased these football dreams. I chased these pro dreams. But they didn't come through. They didn't come to fruition. I had to do something. And I remember my homeboy walking across that stage. So two years later, I walked across the stage, man. The rest is history. I love it. And and what did you study while you were at UCM? I know you said it took That's you easy. it took you That's a few easy. years, but how, how was that experience? <laughs> what were you studying? So, yeah. So 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 after I majored in uh after I majored in booze and drugging and skirt chasing, I studied journalism and I uh my minor was creative writing. So I majored in journalism, I minored in creative writing. I always knew I wanted what I wanted to do. I wanted how, did, to how did you know though? Like what was it growing up that kind of like triggered that emotion for you? Like, all right, this is what I want to do, this is what I'm interested in. Okay. All right, man. So I gotta I gotta break it down. 12 years old again, seventh grade. My mom sent me from North St. Louis. So I uh, born and raised in a street called Park Avenue in South St. Louis. We moved to the uh, North St. Louis on a street called James Cool Papa Bell. Well, St. Louis is very territorial and very segregated, even amongst us. And so moving from the South side to the North side to these projects, me and my big brother had a lot of problems. So after one year, my mom was like, you know what? I'm sending y'all, I'm busting y'all out. We were part of the voluntary desegregation program in Missouri. We were bused from uh, North St. Louis, where we live, 27 miles to Eureka, Missouri. And uh, that changed everything. So in the sixth grade, 1985, I went out to Eureka in the sixth grade. I came back from my seventh grade year. We're in social studies class. And we're playing a game called Current Events. Social studies teacher, his name is Mr. Sharp. I'll never forget it. On Fridays, we played the game called Current Events. He would set us up. We would have buzzards. It was teams of five. The first time we played this game, sir, I did not know the answers. I tried to answer twice. I got both wrong. And the rest of the answers, I didn't try. The questions, I didn't try to answer because I didn't know them. I didn't like that feeling. I did not like that feeling. I felt like a dunce. So what I did after class, I've always been an advocate for myself, man. I've always gone advocate for myself. After class, I walked up to the teacher and I asked a simple question. I I told him my concern first. This stuff is not in my homework. It's not in my notes. It's not in my book. How am I supposed to know this stuff? And the man says to me, the name of the game, son, is called Current Events. Go home, watch the news, read the newspaper. I was 12. I've been doing that every day since, every single day. And so when I got to 18, 19 years old, they talking about what your major is going to be. It was a no-brainer. It was journalism. I knew what I wanted to do. I love that. I love that. Fun fact, my seventh grade social social studies teacher name was Mr. Sharp as well. Hey, man, you so, never know. Fun fact, fun fact. And he's the only one that would ever keep it real with me when I was like acting out. He'll pull yeah. me outside of class, uh-huh, uh-huh. snatch me up by my shirt, look at me in uh-huh. the face, and he'll be like, you know, if you want your life to go down the right path, I need you to switch up your behavior immediately. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And he'll shake me up. He'll be like, listen to me. I'm like, okay, all right. So you serious, okay? <laughs> hey, sometimes we need a little shake it up, yeah, right? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit doesn't hurt nothing. <laughs> no, so, nothing to nobody. So I want to I want to talk about your love for St. Louis, man. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, you talked about the Cardinals. What are some other highlights from your childhood, from your teenage years that that you really miss and love about Ooh. St. Louis? I know you still go back home and visit, but what are what are some things that you really miss? It can be anything. It can be the legendary Chinese food. It can be a certain uh, it can be a certain type of drink you used to get from a certain gas station. What are some things that you really remember about life in St. Louis? I miss having access to my mom and my grandma, man. Uh, 
you know, um, to be honest, man, I, I'm a mama's boy. Uh, <laughs> I miss my mom and my grandma, man. They're, I'm blessed they're still alive. Um, but, they're, you know, I'm, I live in KC. They live in St. Louis. And when I lived in St. Louis, you know, I was, boom, boom, I could hit the block. I'm right there, mom down the street from grandma, you know. And I miss that. I miss having that access to those ladies because they're powerful women. Those women, you know, you know how I go, man. When you get a powerful one behind you, man, it's, it's a wrap. Ain't nothing you can't do. And so my mom and my grandma are my rock, my backbone. So I just miss having access to them and being able to see them every day. But as far as, you know, the day-to-day, you know, the vibe of the city is the city, man. I had to get out of that place, man. <laughs> you know, I was do, I was going too hard in St. Louis, man. So I moved away when I was 33. It was right, the right decision. So, um, yeah, just the family, man. My mom and my grandma, man. I, I just miss them, man. I love it. I do want to talk about Nelly, though. Oh, yeah. We got to talk about the kid. I want to talk about, like, all the... There was a few. There was Nelly. There was... Let's see. There was Jaquan. There was... Come on, man. Hey, don't make me pull out my notebook, bro. Don't make me pull out my notebook. The top 100 songs in STL hip-hop history, baby. Oh, you better believe it. So you had Nelly, Jaquan, Chingy... You had uh, you had guys that was like out of order. You had guys like the whole nine man. We had a run, and I I cover entertainment from two thousand and one in St. Louis to two thousand and seven. I was on the scene, man. I was on the scene, man. So we had a nice run. Let's talk. A- let's talk about those years though. What, what were some What were some highlights? Some songs or some some uh, a night at the club? You remember where 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 Nelly's music was just hitting the hardest? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Like, what was that Listen. feeling like? One night I was in the club with Nelly and the Lunatics, man, and, and uh, their, their album, album was playing, and one of the songs called Let Me In Now was playing, man. I was chicken head and all that. Man, I party harder to them songs than them dudes did that night, man. <laughs> you couldn't have been a six Lunatic, baby. At that point, you feel me? So now, nah, man, those guys, are, man, those guys changed the game uh, for our city. They put us on, man, and I just was there at 27 to 33. I was there every night, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I was out six out of seven nights out of the week. I, I don't, Wednesday or Thursday is one of them nights I slept. But other than that, I was out, man. I was in that thing. In there, living the life, living the living life. life. There are so many songs. Of course, everybody knows the yeah. grandma song, you know, hot, right. you know, hot shit. And they know the uh, Tipsy song by Jay Quan. They know Chingy's uh, music right there. But a lot of people don't understand. That's why during COVID, I start curating this list that's coming in 2022 the top 100 songs in STL hip-hop history. I can name drop, but St. Louis artists had songs with Snoop Dogg, Diddy, JD, Jermaine Dupri, uh, Fabo from uh, D4L. Uh, man, all kind of people, man. I mean, we we made out. Mark MC8 did a song with a uh, guy named DJ Crucial down there. Like, we have some songs that people have never heard about that can stand up with any coach that you want to put in. And, and, and I'm responsible for letting the world know about that. So who says St. Louis ain't hip hop? The top 100 songs in STL hip hop history is my actually my next project that I'm working on for my personal self, man. So I'm glad. I love, you. I love it. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that for real. It's, Bruh, it's going to be dope. It's going to be, it's going to be dope. It's going to be a uh, physical book. It's going to be an oh, email. Wow. And it's going to be a 10 part podcast. Oh, wow. Okay. Going yeah. Down. It's going to be sick. And so what I'm trying to do now is the behind the scenes, I'm trying to line up the guests that I'm going to need for each segment. Hell and yeah. I'm shooting for the stars. I'm going all the way up to the top. I need to call a couple of folks, 
get Nelly on the phone, like, bro, you got to do this with me. But uh, it's going to be all right, man. It's going to be all right. I love that. I love that. Well, we're looking forward to, you know, me and the listeners are looking forward to that happening because that that's exciting for me, you know, because it's funny, you know, when growing up in Kansas City, the closest thing we had, we had Tech Nine, which is cool, yeah. but Tech Nine always felt still a little underground to us, yeah. at least in my opinion. Um, yeah. You know, even though he was a big artist out of our city, he didn't feel like a superstar per se. So let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, young about about Tech Nine and and some of these Kansas City brothers, man. That I, I you know, I, you know, I, I was down here. I worked at the Landon Mall. Wow. <laughs> I worked at Harold Penners inside the Landon. Yep, my sisters, my, first, my sisters know about that. <laughs> my first job out of college was not a writing job, my brother. It was a job at the Harold Penners at the Landon Mall. I love but it. I you, these Kansas City dudes hustle from everybody from Tech Nine to Don Juan to my boy Hustle Made Bugsy to my boy Mr. So Heavy. Man, these dudes was hustling. They were grinding. They were selling work out the trunk. They were selling on the corner. I got respect for my uh, KC rappers, man, and my, my hip hop guys here. But Tech Nine, one of the hardest working individuals in this game. And I give him his props, whether he was left or center, right or center, angelic, white folks, black folks, gang, whatever you want to call that man, you have to give that man his props. He changed independent game for music. The hardest working man in the game. The hardest working man in the game. And I'll challenge anybody on that one. I love it. I love it. I love it. A lot of people should study his business model, man. That that boy, man. that boy's raking in a lot as an independent artist, and he's been doing hey. it way longer than people thought it was cool to be independent. Hey, you, exactly. You know, you know, it always helped to have a little startup fee, right? My man, <laughs> my man Travis, my man Travis, my, Travis. Story, right? My man Travis invested about a mill into that man. But sometimes that's what you need. Now, them those yeah. bring 10, 12 million a year. Come on. Easy. 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 That was probably one of the best investments that dude Travis ever made in his life. Made in his life, right, exactly. (laughs) Hats off to that dude and tech for uh, having that vision, man. So, hey, yo, anybody out there want to dump a million to my startup or your startup, our lines are open. Tap in. Tap in. (laughs) Tap in. We we are the next Apple and Amazon, just in different lanes. You feel feel me? Put put a million to your boy. We all going to get paid out here. I love it. I love it. But I do want to talk about your first writing job. So let's talk about your 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 break into journalism, your break into the game. Like, what right. year is this? Where does it all okay. start? OK. All right. So I walked across the stage December of 1999. I had to come back in January of 2000 and finish up one little class. It was a science class. Right. So I had a lot of free time in my in, in 2000. Uh, I don't know if you know, but the Rams won the Super Bowl in 2000, the greatest show on uh, turf, St. Louis Rams. Nelly Hot Country Grammar also came out that year. So I had already, you know, made up my mind uh, in the summer of 99 when I graduated. I was not going back to St. Louis. Um, a lot of different reasons, but one of the reasons was this was before my best friend and my son died in St. Louis. It was still a lot of trauma there. I didn't want to be there. I, like, I just didn't want to be there. So I said, I'm going to Cali, right? And so my, my goal was to get to L.A. I wanted to be like Hollywood, Spike Lee type stuff, right? And so um, got a job at Hurl Penners because I had too much free time on my hands. And when you're that young, I was 23, 24. I had a lot of free time on my hands. I had sent my uh, firstborn son back home to his mom because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So me and my best friend, we did a lot of stuff in college, man. One of the things that uh, I don't know if a lot of people know about this, man, but uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, 
at, during that time, I abused uh, prescription pain pills. And um, I got tired of getting high, if that makes sense. And so I got a job. I, I squared up, if you will. And uh, so my first job out of college was at Harold Pennings Manufacturing, selling women's shoes by $8 an hour. Not women's shoes, but shoes. $8 an hour. The hiring manager there said to me, hey, yo, man, listen, they're opening stores nationwide. They're going to end up opening. They ended up opening 32 stores in 27 states in 99, 2000. They asked me if I wanted to be assistant manager in Richmond, California, which is the bank. I figured if I go out there and the store does well, they're going to expand to L.A. Assistant manager, I'm going to L.A. to run that thing. 50 percent off clothes. I'm good. And so I, that was my first job out of Cali, uh, out of college, man. I went to uh, Harold Pennings in the landing from uh, January of 2000 to September 2000. Then I moved to Cali. I was in the Bay for about three or four months. And I got homesick. I'm, I'm going to admit it to you, but I got homesick. Uh, there was a lot of things bubbling at the home, including our music and our sports. But I was homesick. I was missing my family. My soul was unsettled. So I transferred back home. Ended up at Northwest Plaza. They had a store down there. I worked there for two weeks and I quit because my ego wouldn't allow me to stay in a situation where I felt like I was a failure. And so I quit. I quit that job in December of 2000. In February of 2001, I got my first writing job. It's like show and tell right here, man. My first writing job at the uh, what you would call the uh, North County Journal, right? I'm going to show you this real quick because I keep this on deck. My first byline, I don't know if you guys can see this, but that's the president of the United States at the time, George W. Bush. Wow. My byline is on there, Toriano Porter. This is my it first, is. this is the original copy of the first story that I wrote 20 years ago, February the 25th, 2001. Man, I keep this on deck. Wow. Hey, crazy. Whether, whether you know, you if you take whatever you take out of it, if you take the politics out of it and the political affiliation, it's the president of the United States. And I'm in the room with him writing about it. And so from there, you know, you really couldn't tell me nothing, man. I had spent the, uh, some time in the Bay. I was messing with some young guys out there. So, you know, I was feeling myself a little bit. So I get back to Missouri. I'm on some, I'm on some wildest stuff. So that first writing job, I was hired in February of 2001. <laughs> By July of 2001, I was fired. <laughs> <laughs> Hey. Out of there, baby. Hey, but that Out first story though, still legendary. Hey, legendary, man. Legendary. So, you know, she fired the, my editor fired me for insubordination. And you know what? I have to agree with her. I, agree. <laughs> <laughs> I was 27, bro. You couldn't tell me nothing. You I was have I had checks that I was getting from this job. It was like twelve dollars an hour, whatever. Throwing the checks under the bed, because you know, I was doing what dudes do at that age, doing dumb stuff, you know what I mean? And so I wasn't really tripping off that job. I made more money on the block than I did at the job, you know, just being honest. Not saying that I'm bragging about it, but at 27 years old, I, 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 I made more money on the block than I did at the work. And so uh, I didn't take the job serious. And so I was humbled, though, too, because at 27, my first writing job that I ever got as a professional, I was fired from. I didn't get another full-time writing job until I was 33 years old. Six years. Yeah. Six years, man. And when I tell you grinding... Because at some point, again, I squared up. I squared up. I promised God I'm not going to do anything illegal. And I'm going to go ahead and just grind. And, uh, man, I sold women's shoes, cell phones, insurance, and gas. I was uh, um, I was the best gas station attendant ever. 
I will pump your gas. I will make your coffee. I will clean the bathroom. I was the best gas station attendant ever, man. But I did all of that while I was freelancing, just building my clips, building my portfolio, building my resume. Still no full-time writing job, though. So it was hard. It was a tough, tough time in my life, man. And how did you navigate that? Like, what principles were you living by? Like, what books were you reading? Like, you know, it's not like there's like, you know, Instagram or YouTube where people, you could just be watching motivational videos and stuff like that. And I think it's important for you to share because, you know, there's a lot of young people like myself, 24. I'm 24 right now. And there's a lot of people my age that are just like, man, like they finished college. They're still trying to figure out what they want to do. Maybe they didn't finish college. Maybe they never went like myself, you know, and they're just trying to figure out what they want to do or they're struggling to get money or they're struggling to do what they love and and they're finding it tough. And sometimes, you know, I know I'm not alone because I know everyone else has struggled too, but some people feel like nobody else has struggled like them. So how did you navigate that? Six years, man, six years. I'll tell you this, young college, about the age of 30, man, 30 years old, I was humble, right? Again, I come from, I, I was a three-sport athlete. I mean, everybody talk about high school. Everybody talk about what they did back in the day. Only reason I'm talking about it because I'm still doing things in current time, right? I'm, 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 so I can talk about my past, right? I was a three-sport athlete in high school, man. I, I was that guy, man. I, you know what I mean? Like, people knew me. I was popular. Got a full scholarship to play football. All of that, man. So, you know, I just never was, like, one of those guys who mm, was going to fail, right? And so the first time I felt a little bit of failure, adversity, it changed a lot, right? And so I went away to college, man. Everybody from Park Avenue, South St. Louis, they knew, you know, they knew. I, they, they knew I went away to college. And um, I came back. I thought I moved back from Cali. Everything was cool. I was writing. And, you know, I had a little money in my pocket, so everything was cool. But when I squared up and I got legit, I was working for my uncle at his gas station. And, uh, it, you know, South St. Louis, and I was frustrated, and I quit. I was 30 years old. I felt like I'm educated. I can get a job. Man, I was out of job for a year and a half, bro. And this is the key. This is where I'm asking your question. This is the key. At that point in time, I promised myself and God I was not going to do anything illegal. I was just going to see it through. And, uh, man, I had to move back home with my grandma <laughs> at 30 with a son. He was 11. That was humbling. So, again, I went away to college, played football, had some success, went away to Cali, came back writing. I thought, because I came back after all seven and a half, eight years, and the guys were still on the block doing what they do, I thought I was better than bigger than the block. You're never bigger or better than where you come from, and your boy thought he was. And at 30, I got sent back home to my grandma's house with a tail between my legs. And I was embarrassed, and I got humbled. The same people I thought I was better than were the same people who picked me up when I was at my lowest. And that is why I named my first book, The Pride of Park Avenue. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about my neighborhood. It's an ode to my block. It's an ode to my neighborhood. I wanted to take something that we were doing in the 90s, you know, banging, representing, carrying gun, and make it something positive for Pride of Park Avenue. So I made a promise to God. This is how I got through it. I made a promise to God and myself. I wasn't going to do anything illegal. And I was going to take whatever came. And that came with that was humility. And you cannot buy that. Humility is priceless. I love that. I love that, man. The best thing about this podcast is hearing people's stories, man, because it as a young person myself, to be able to just lock in and hear the authenticity that comes 
you know, from from the heart of people's stories and people have to go back years in their life into, into their brain and tap into those into those sources and into those memories and to to hear the feelings, to hear the stories is just beautiful and, and inspirational. So, you know, I, I, I've, I've told you this before, but I always want to thank you for, you know, anytime we get to chop it up because it's always good to just get that little source of like, damn, all right, they went through some shit. I can go through some shit. Yeah. Uh, they 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 went through this. Now they, yeah. you know, I see you smiling. I said we was yeah, laughing last weekend or the weekend before we was out yeah. having some Chilling. coffee, chilling, Chilling. sunny day, awesome, smiling. Oh, some yuppie, oh, some yuppie shit. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> some young yuppie shit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So to see to see you know you know hear people's story of pain and tribulation, but to also see them here twenty years later with joy on their face, loving what they do. Yeah, it's something beautiful to see so so nice. you you've worked you worked at the lee summit you worked for the lee summit journal for what sit five years so, so uh i when i moved up here in 07 i worked for the independence examiner newspaper in independence missouri it was four Sports years editor right i did two years hard news two years sports yes sir and uh then um i was my position was eliminated i was down for about 13 months but this time i was solid because i had a product hmm. yep you know what I mean? I invested in myself. So, um, you know, entrepreneur type stuff. So I, I was selling books and doing public speaking, freelancing. I was able to get through that 13 months. I didn't have to move back in with grandma at that point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because that's another thing. At 30, I didn't have any books out. I have three out now, but at 30, I didn't have any out. And when that happened, I wrote my first book. And I told myself, man, if something ever happens to my job again, uh, I, I want to make sure I have something for myself. You know what I mean? And I don't want I came with my grandma on Park Avenue, man. So um, I wrote my first book, then I wrote my second one, and I wrote my third one last year, man. I'm working on my fourth one now. So I just been trying to invest in myself, man. So you know, I love that. And and before before we transition into Lisa and then Casey Star, before we transition to that, I do actually want to talk a little bit more about your books. I know you kind of shared here and there, you know what what the pride of park avenue is really about but can you you know give us a summary of what the book's about where people can find it and you know what inspired the story again you've kind of shared it throughout but can you kind of compile it all into one yes sir my 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 elevator pitch about the pride of park avenue is a collection of short stories poems and personal essays about life growing up in the hood and trying to make good there was a lot of pitfalls I had to navigate to get where I was trying to go. And I, where I was trying to go was to either play professional football, go to Hollywood and be the next Spike Lee or be a newspaper reporter. You know what I mean? And so you have to navigate these things because death come knocking at your door. Tragedy come knocking at your door. You walk outside, you never know what's going to happen. It, that, it was real. Like, I'm not making this up. It's documented. And so my first eight stories in this book are personal essays about everybody that I lost up until I was 21 years old in the streets of St. Louis to gun violence. And so those, those personal essays are emotional, they're touching, but they're also therapeutic for me. So the pride of Park Avenue is about life growing up in the hood, trying to make good, man. And can, and can you share, you, you share with me actually the other day, and that's the only reason why I asked this question or asked you to share this. Can you share about uh, your realization of, you know, Park Avenue when you were in New York. Yeah. Oh, that's a great story. So it's going to be a great blog post one day, right? My blog's on my website, torianoporter.com. But uh, this is going to be a great blog post one day. What's in the name, right? So back in 2004, 
I was still working on my project, the Pride of Park Avenue, which didn't come out until 2008. So it took me four or five years to complete it. But it was a working manuscript called the Pride of St. Louis because I was living in St. Louis. My mindset was St. Louis. And so I was in New York City for about a week out there, man, with my cousin helping him promote his movie. And uh, I was on Times Square and I took a walk. I took a walk. Like I was telling you, them New York City blocks, man, they different, man. They different. And so you have time to soak up a lot of things. You have time to think, observe. So I ended up on the, the intersection of 34th Street and Park Avenue, I believe, in, in, in New York time, uh, New York City, Times Square. I grew up in the 3400 block of Park Avenue in South St. Louis. So sitting at this intersection, I asked myself, if my book was done, could I sell right now in this corner, the Pride of St. Louis? And my answer to myself was absolutely not. There ain't nobody in New York checking for no St. Louis, right? And in that moment, it hit me. There's a Park Avenue in every city, including New York, St. Louis, Kansas City, Lee Summit, Missouri, Independence, Missouri, where I live. I was like, aha, had an epiphany right there, the pride of Park Avenue. And again, like I said earlier, it's not about me. I'm not calling myself the pride of Park Avenue. I'm talking about the pride that we have as a neighborhood. And I, I knew at that time because this gentrification deal takes 20, 30, 40 years to go. So I knew that they were pushing us out. And so I wanted to have an old, so when folks move into my neighborhood, they'll have a history lesson of what really went down in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. So that's what it was about, man. I had an epiphany and it changed the game for me. It changed the game. I love it. I love it. And and for for people out there who might, be interested in writing a book themselves. Can you kind of talk about, you know, your process or, you know, just share maybe like the 101, you know, for dummies about how to write a book, especially like right now, modern day times, like somebody's at home right now, they're like, oh, I swear I could write a good book. I swear I could write a good book. Like, what does that, what's the action look like? The first thing is do is to write. You want to write every day. The technical stuff, you can figure that out or you can help get somebody to help you figure it out. The editing, the layout, the cover design, all those technical things, people good, are good at that. Your story is your story. You're the only one that can tell it, no matter how you want to tell it, whether it's fictionalized, nonfiction, poetry, movies, television shows, whatever you want to do, write every single day, even if it's just one word. One word is better than none. What I do, what I learned from Stephen King, reading his book on writing, is... Take two hours out of your day to dedicate to your craft. Boom. Just whatever your plan is, 7 a.m. to 9, 9 p.m. to 11, whatever it is. It could even be an hour. Write every single day, though. Every single day. I love it. I love it. And what, uh, you know, because I don't want to forget about them. So I want you to make sure before we move on to share your other two books that you've written. I know you said you're writing your fourth one right now. But if you want to share the other two books you've written, and talk about what those stories were about as well. Yeah, no problem at all, man. Like I said, this is show and tell hour here. So again, the first one is called The Pride of Park Avenue. My second book, my first novel, is called James Cool. Like that. That's smooth. I, when I was nine, my mom got a Section 8 voucher to a, a project, a housing project in North St. Louis called the JBL Projects, Jeff Vanderloo. Um, we moved there from South St. Louis. And when we moved there, we were introduced to the JVL Posse. 
which is the neighborhood gang. <laughs> well, they don't like dudes from South St. Louis. So it was just me and my brother, I'm nine, he's 11. First day on the block, and this is real life, this is real life. First day on the block, saw the most prettiest girl in my nine years of life, and I was in love. And so, you know, I chased her. She was never my girlfriend. So 30 years later, I wrote a novel called James Cool. In this book, because it's a novel, I get the girl. I call it the cute little story between a girl and a boy and their first crush. James Cool. I wrote this for middle school kids, black boy on the cover. When I was coming up, I didn't see a lot of black boys on the cover. My third book is my first digital only project. It's available on Amazon.com, the Kindle app for Amazon, uh, for Android and iPhone. The five people you meet in the hood before you get to heaven. 38 pages. It's about, it's five person essays about the five people's closest to me that I lost within an 18 month span. The five people you meet before you get, uh, five people you meet in the hood before you get to heaven. They're all connected. They're all intertwined. That went number one on Amazon, high new release. My, that's my third book. And my fourth one, like I told you earlier, I'm working on it right now. So I love it. I love it. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, you just got the, the drop in on auto. So go cop. Amazon.com or torianoporter.com or just Google the Pride of Park Avenue. It'll pop up. It's, it's too easy to find. Go find. You feel yes, sir. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's talk about, you know, the, the, the time you spent here in the area. You went Independence to Lee Summit, Lee Summit, Kansas City. So can we kind of just talk about the journey of your, your career as a journalist, as a writer? Um, in the Kansas City metro area, and maybe some highlights. You know, what were some really enjoyable times? What were some really tough times? Yeah, yeah man, uh, the journey was the journey. It's the part of the grind. And so, like I said earlier, 2001, 2007, I was a freelance writer in St. Louis, had a bunch of clips, applied for a job at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, a dream job, because that's my hometown newspaper. I always wanted to work there. Um, the hiring manager told me to go to a smaller newspaper, get some daily experience. I moved to Independence, Missouri, Independence Examiner, Spent two years covering hard news, two years covering sports. I covered high school sports and I covered the Chiefs for two years. I covered the Chiefs for two years, man. I thought I was thought I was good. I'm done. I can retire now. I made it to the league. Um, went from there to the Lee Summit Journal, where I covered business and education for four years. Uh, the people who own the Lee Summit Journal, McClatchy, owns the Kansas City Star. So my thought was I'll spend two years in Lee Summit. Then I'll go downtown to Kansas City and go for the star. I was four years in Lee Summit, almost quit, almost got fired. It was bad. Um, but God has been on my side. In 2016, I started at the Kansas City Stars, a breaking news reporter. You guys got to keep something in mind. I'm going to be real quick with this. When I was 18 years old, I told myself I wanted to write for a major daily newspaper. I was 42 years old when I got my first major newspaper job, dog. That's 24 years, bro, of grinding. I need you to hear this. 24 years worth of grinding just to achieve a dream and a goal, bro. 24. So I break the news editor August of 2016. By December of 2018, I was promoted to the editorial board at the Kansas City Star. And that's what I do now. I'm an opinion writer for the Kansas City Star's editorial board. I don't know if people know what that means, but I'll break it down in layman's terms. I'm a black man in America that get paid to give an opinion for a major daily newspaper. That's practically it in a nutshell 
I love it. I love it. And like you said, don't let that go over your head, ladies and gentlemen. 24 years, man. 24 years. And he's still here with a motherfucking smile on his face. Man, uh, life is good, man. Kids are healthy. I'm healthy, man. I'm making a difference in the community. The job is cool. It's gravy, man. I mean, I ain't got no complaints. I I would be disrespecting God if I complained right now, man. I would be disrespecting God. I love it. But I think it's so important because people want things so fast, especially now. And, and I'm one of them, you know, I'm guilty of it every other day. Right. So, you know, it's real to be able to, to hear that is again, I think the best word to say is humbling is it's not that the, the journey wasn't beautiful at times and sad at times. I'm sure you had good times, bad oh, yeah, times, oh, yeah. middle oh, times, yeah. you know, but you know, there's always a, there's always a big goal that somebody is trying to achieve. And it may take you 20 years, may take you 30 years. It may take you 10 years, may take you five years, but the only thing you can control is working hard and being intentional yep. with what you yep. do. When that yep. comes is God's choice. Yep. But, yep. but you just yep. gotta be intentional and continue working. And to think that you were working on that for the, as long as the time I've been alive <laughs> is, is I'm not even trying to make a joke, but it's beautiful though. No, it's dope. And I really, I really admire you and your hard work for that and all the good yeah. work you're doing now and the good energy you put out there on social, the good energy yeah. you put out there in the city when you're moving around. Like you can feel your energy. When I met you the first time, not only was the fly, the outfit fly, but I just knew, oh, this is a dope brother walking in. That's why I decided to say something. Yes, and sir, every man. time we've linked up since then, you always bring good energy to the vibes, the, the spots that we're in. When people interact with you, you're always interacting with love, kindness, yeah. and, and intentionality. So yeah. to, to see where you are now and everything you went through and, you know, just meeting you two, you know, a year and a half ago, man, it's beautiful. You should be proud of yourself, so. Bruh, I mean, you know, I'll I'll praise to my mom and my dad and God, but absolutely, I pat myself on the back every every single day, man, because seriously, I'm my biggest fan. I'm my biggest advocate. I don't know much about life, but I'm an expert on me, man, and I know everything that I've been through to get to this point in my life, and it ain't even about the job because jobs come and go. It's about the grind. It's about trusting the process. It's about what is it that you want out of life? Are you going to put in the work to achieve that? And that's what I've done. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm not even done. I'm just getting started. Honestly, bro. I mean, I'm 47. I'm just getting started. I love it. I love it. I love it. That reminds me of like, you crack me up because Gary Vaynerchuk be saying that. Gary was like, he's like, he's like, people think I'm old. People think I'm old. Like, he's like, he's like, I'm 46. They think I'm, that I'm done. I'm just fucking <laughs> getting started. <laughs> you feel me? But no, that's real though. That's I real. Got a 40, I got 40, 50, you know, God willing. I got yeah. 40 more of these things left. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I do want to talk to you a little bit about, man, what are some some highlights of Kansas City that you really love about Kansas City? What are some things that you really, you know, admire about this town, about its people, about its sports, whatever it might be? The people. I love the people. I love the food. Um, You guys, Kansas City has um, what I would call a great collection of executive chefs here, award winning chefs, James Beard nominated and uh, James Bird award-winning chefs. And you can tell it's bigger than barbecue. I love the people. I love the food. I love the cost of living. I love being able to be in the middle that I can get to any part of the uh, country from here. Uh, I love the coffee. I love the craft breweries. I love the, uh, the craft distilleries. I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know if you know this, man, but there's a lot of startup energy out here in Kansas City. And I don't, you know, you're going to Austin. Austin is a big-time city. 
Well, KC is right up there as far as entrepreneurial spirit, man. I, I, I love this place, man. I tell people all the time, Kansas City is slept on and it's bigger than barbecue. So for me, it's the people, it's the coffee, it's the food, it's the beer, it's the bourbon. It's, it's everything. I love this place, man. I, I really have found a level of peace that I have never had in my entire life here in Kansas City, Missouri. Love it. I love it. So I would love for you to share two to three pieces of advice for young people coming up that are trying to navigate their careers as journalists or as writers. You know, what do you suggest? Somebody's graduating right now from Northwest with the journalism. They love writing. They know they have a talent in it, but they don't know which direction to go. What would you be your pieces of advice? All right. Do the work. No one owes you anything. Trust the process. Do the work. Expect nothing. Nobody owes you anything and trust the process. That's the advice I got from now to get a little deeper than that up below the surface. Network, politic, meet people, get out here, put your work out here, build your portfolio, have a presence online, have a brand, have conviction. Don't sell out for money. Believe in yourself. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it a lot, man. Really, what I love most is your energy. <laughs> Yo, every time every time I link up with you or I see you on IG or something, like even the, the type of content you post on all your IG stories, like I typically just skip through people's IG stories. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I kind of just tap through because I hate having the notification that yeah, yeah. a story. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You think? Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. Really, and I'm surprised. I've only known you for a year and a half. You know, my favorite things are sports, business, and hip-hop pretty much like right. that's pretty much it and right. for some reason your story is the one that i always stop and just look at i'm like oh nice nice oh he was here today it's like a good vibe like you always provide a certain type of energy and i think it's just natural to you that you've you kind of just mastered yourself and yourself you know authentically is just dope so yeah man <laughs> hey listen and here's what's crazy about being authentic man i still have some ugly truths i ain't even put out to the world man like, seriously, man, like, it's still more layers to peel. And I'm so public with my stuff, man, and my heart aches and my failures, man. So um, I like to tell people I'm truthful and I learn from my losses and I celebrate my wins. But it's true, man, because what I want to do is I want to bring a level to this thing called life where people don't feel like you have to be perfect to succeed because you don't. You just got to stay the course, man, and believe in yourself and believe in the process. And so that's that's really what I'm about, man. Like, I don't, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything. Anybody can ask me anything, and I'll tell them. Whether it's a win or a loss, I'm going to own it. But I'm still shining. I'm still smiling. I'm still breathing. I'm, I'm good. I love it. I love it. Final two questions. What is a quote that you live by? This is – that's great. There's two. I'm, I have to I have to give because I – I don't make them, I jack them. Uh, there's a poet by the name of Clint Smith. He wrote something that I use in a lot of my presentations. We are worthy of existing without fear. We are worthy of existing without fear. Clint Smith, Arthur Poet. There's another Arthur, Mender Hearts is her name. She wrote a book called The Memo. She came to KC before COVID. She was giving a speech. Success is not a solo sport. Success is not a solo sport. I love that. Right? So those are the two things I picked up from uh, those folks. My football program in Warrensburg, Missouri, Central Missouri State, the Muse, we had a creed called the Mule Ball Creed. 
And that creed is man's greatest moments of happiness when he pushes himself beyond what he thought was expected and still succeed. Man's greatest moment of happiness and when he pushes himself beyond what he thought was beyond his breaking point and still succeed. The mule ball creed, that, that, and that. And then mine's, my personal one is, it's the first quarter of the rest of your life. What's the next play? When the no, no, what's the next play? Now nah, I got it wrong. I, I'm trying to go with memory, but basically at the end of the day, it's the fourth quarter of life, and what are you gonna do in the next play to win the game? So that's that's it, man. Those are the calls I like to use. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, Toriana Porter. Is listen, your last listen, dance. listen. I just memorized three other people calls that can't memorize my. This is crazy, man. I, I gotta go back to the drawing board. Blow- <laughs> Oh damn um 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 podcast up bro <laughs> nah nah we Humble. love it we love it you know nah. what we're gonna do what we're gonna do is I bet you you're gonna remember in a few days and we're gonna add the quote to the description so don't that's worry. what we'll we gotta, do that's what we, we gotta hey, you know I got it written down already though so hell yeah hell yeah all you gotta do we'll is go good. through the notes <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah all good absolutely man. um so it's your last day on earth all right you're 772 years old right you lived a full life God's granted you healthy bones, healthy knees, healthy ankles, healthy back, been able to live a full life. Your great, great grandkids are sitting at your feet and they ask you, great, 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 great grandpa Porter, give me a piece of advice on how to live life. And it's the last thing they're left with from you. Remain faithful, be humble, treat people with respect. Always do the right thing. I told my, my oldest boy, his living son is 22 right now. Always do the right thing. Always do the right thing. Always. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Big T, my guy, my brother. This is really, great, man. This is, no, this has been great for me. <laughs> no, nah, this is beautiful, man. I really appreciate this conversation. And I tell you every time we wrap up a conversation that I look forward to connecting and talking again. And that's for a reason, man. I don't just say that because that's a thing to say at the end of a conversation. I say that because you provide a certain type of energy, a certain type of knowledge, a certain type of authenticity that's really appreciated from this heart right here that you're looking at. So I really, uh, I really appreciate you, man. I really appreciate, you know, God putting us in the same space at the same time to be able to connect. And I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Before we sign out, I want you to tell people where they can find your books, where they can find your work and where they can find you on social media so they can, you know, tap in and support. All right. Everything is pretty much simple. My social media handles, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't have Snapchat or TikTok, but I'm thinking about getting because somebody told me I need to get it. Everything is at Toriano Porter. My name's on the screen at Toriano Porter. Website, torianoporter.com. You can find my books there or amazon.com. If you would like to subscribe to my work for the Kansas City Star, visit KansasCityStar.com. Uh, 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 KansasCity.com. I love it. I love it. I love it. Any final words you'd like to share before we sign out? Man, I'm humble. I'm good. Young King, I appreciate you, man. I'm honored. Seriously. I, I watch your podcast, bro. You do a great job. I'm honored to be a part of it, man, because you didn't have to include me. Even though we connected, it's still, you know, you still didn't have to include me, so I'm honored, man. Appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure you guys leave a five-star review. Tap in with our guest today. I don't want you guys to just listen and leave. I want you guys to listen and participate 
and in conversations connect with the people we have on the show because they're dope and they're on here for a reason um with that being said ladies and gentlemen this is c-i-double-z-y you dig live action from kansas city missouri signing out